Good evening, everyone. I thought that before we start, I would just give you a little um, um, explanation as to why we're here. Uh, first of all, thank you for braving the rain and missing the last uh, couple minutes of the football game um, to be here, and it will definitely be worth it. Um, we have three main objectives as a stake um, this year, and those are to uh, deepen our commitment to our covenants, to help gather Israel, and to help support the rising generation. And we all have different roles in helping support the rising generation. There are parents, there are grandparents, there are aunts and uncles, there are youth leaders and primary teachers. Um, but every adult in this stake, in one form or another, has a God-given responsibility to help uh, support these wonderful children and youth that are uh, entrusted to our care. And so it, it brings my, uh, my heart joy to see all of you here tonight to, so that we can learn how to do that better. We've counseled together as a state council about uh, what we see as the most um, pressing concerns with the youth, and those are, uh, I'm not going to get them all, uh, helping strengthen emotional health and, and, and resilience, helping them prepare for the temple, helping them prepare for missions, um, helping them uh, develop a healthy relationship with media, social media, video games, and avoiding pornography, um, helping them with their difficult questions about the gospel. And I think I'm leaving one off, but you get the, you get the point. So we're going to do one of these every other month, and the goal is for them to be interactive, that um, uh, Sister Murray will have a short presentation, and then we're hoping this can be very, you know, back and forth so that it's a, a workshop to help you with your challenges and questions and concerns rather than just a lecture. Um, so we uh, feel very strongly and very, um, and just feel inspired to put on this series of workshops this, this year and, uh, and can promise that if you'll come to them with a prayer in your heart and uh, open to the inspiration of the Holy Ghost that we can all do a better job this year in our responsibility to support the rising generation. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm just going to introduce our speaker tonight, Sister Kristen Murray. Um, she, Kristen is a licensed clinical social worker with extensive training and experience supporting individuals and families. She received a master's degree in social work from the University of Utah, where she specialized her education and training in the clinical field of social work. Kristen has almost 20 years of clinical social work experience that is wide ranging from adolescence down to residential programs in Utah, school-based programs in South Central Los Angeles, to her current private practice in South Orange County. Kristen is passionate about her work and really feels she has the best job in the world. She feels blessed and thankful that her professional work has matched up with her church service where she has served the youth of the church again for almost 20 years. She and her husband have two kids and they love any chance to be out in the world exploring nature and different cultures. She has more sand in her car than one should, but she knows that the more sand in her car, the happier her heart. And if to know Kristen is to love her, I've uh, known her over the years in serving with the youth, and I know she's had a great impact on so many of the youth, both in our stake and in the neighboring stakes. And like I said, to know her is to love her. Um, 
as President Evanson said, we are going to, she's going to give a presentation and then we're going to have a Q&A session. And we hope that you'll all um, feel like this is a safe space to talk about anything that you feel prompted to ask her about. But if you would feel more comfortable asking your question privately, I'm going to read you, so text it down in case you are inclined, President Evanson's cell phone number so you can text any questions that you might not want to say out loud. So his number is 213-220-6477. I should have made a sign. That's like me. I normally would be doing something like that. I should have thought of that in advance. But um, again, we can repeat that if we get to that point. But if you feel prompted to and you don't feel like asking it to the group, feel free to text that to him as well. And we'll turn the time over to Kristen. I currently have more boa feathers in my car than sand because I took my daughter to Harry Styles the other night. So uh, today as I was going to church, I was like, well, this is a little bit of a disaster. It's like sand mixed with all different colors of boa feathers. So I, maybe we'll go clean that out this week. Um, like President Evanson said, I think it's really important to remember that we all play a role in supporting our youth. Um, anytime I'm speaking about the youth, I'm thinking about it not just in terms of parenting, but in terms of all the roles that we play. Um, and so whatever position you're in right now in your life, I hope that you can take something to heart this evening and, and use it and apply it as you support the youth around you. I always remind people I come in peace when I talk about supporting the youth. I, I feel like sometimes people think that, am I just telling us everything we're doing wrong? No. Um, but I myself edit as well what I'm doing, and so hopefully you can take these things and just make some edits this evening, but I'm in no way telling everybody that you're doing a horrible job. I believe that everybody's trying their best. I always say to people that, the kids are trying their best. I know you may not believe that sometimes, but I don't think they're purposely waking up to disappoint you. And I don't think parents are waking up to disappoint their kids either. Um, so just know that. Just take this in and kind of see what principles you think you can apply, you know, that I talk about tonight. Um, I want to ask you all to kind of think in your mind. If you were to think about important buildings that exist in the world, maybe think about famous cities, and you think about the structures that you want to go see, um, what might come to your mind? You know, if I said New York City, what do you think you want to go visit? Empire State Building, right? That's right. If you go to Paris, what do you kind of want to see? The Eiffel Tower. Okay, so I could go down the list and kind of name different cities, and you could kind of give me the famous buildings that you would want to go see. Um, I like these buildings, too. I've been in some pretty impressive, beautiful places in my life. However, if you asked me what my most favorite place I've ever entered um, throughout my travels, it would be that it's the Ellis Island Immigration Station Building. If you've ever been there, it's actually only a three-story building. It's not maybe as impressive as the other places. I don't even think it makes it on a postcard of the New York City skyline or impressive places to visit necessarily. However, interestingly enough, it actually, I think, gets about like a half million more visitors a year than the Empire State Building, um, which makes me pretty happy. And I guess it works to my point. I actually just found that out on the way here. I called my husband. I was like, wait, will you look this up for me? Um, so I love that building. Uh, I stand in it, and I really can't go to New York City without visiting it. Um, like I said, it's only three stories but there's something about those domed buildings or the domed ceiling that really gets me. And I think probably, I think about the hopes and dreams that people felt when they were in there. Um, so I use this analogy to, I guess, introduce the concept for tonight. It's called the scaffold effect, scaffold parenting. There's a book that is really good to actually read um, that I'm gonna kind of go through this evening about these principles, scaffold parenting. When it first came out, it was called the scaffold effect, but now it's out at the same similar title, scaffold parenting. And the idea of this is thinking about our children as buildings. 
And sometimes, actually often, I think especially in our area, we have a tendency to think about our children and wanting them to be like the Empire State Building. Tall, fancy, twinkly lights, impressive, right, when you look at it. Um, however, like I found out tonight, even those like more modest buildings can actually bring in more visitors and can be appreciated by all. Um, if, uh, if you kind of take a moment tonight to think about what your children are, if you thought of them as a building, you might be surprised of what you might find of how you would identify them. I know for me, I identify my two children very differently. I have one child who is most certainly an Empire State Building type of kid. They are constantly looking to add more levels. They like the twinkly lights. They're excited. I think they like literally eat goals for breakfast, lunch, and dinner on their own. Um, and they enjoy it, right? I have another kid who I think is probably more like a library. Um, they're steady. They like visitors, but they like them to be pretty quiet, calm, chill. They don't want the lights on, and they don't want it very noisy. But they're filled with information and knowledge and equally as impressive and exciting in my life. I also parent them differently, and this is what I want you guys to be thinking about this evening. How do you parent or interact with your kids differently based on the type of building they are? Not the building you're trying to turn them into, but the building that they are. For me, the tall, bright, shiny building, I am actually looking for lighthearted fun for them to engage in because they want to go crush all the goals all day long, which is fine. That makes them happy. But I'm more looking for like, hey, let's do something fun stuff, right? Some chill things that kind of gives them some mellow in their life. The other kid, right, who's the library building, I'm trying to help them become a little bit more comfortable with noise, maybe some attention, right? And to appreciate the knowledge that they have and who they might share it with and welcome in visitors maybe a little bit more. So be thinking about that. What kind of buildings are your kids? Because what I'm going to be talking about is what is the scaffolding that you want to provide for these kids being the building that they are. The most important thing to remember about this concept is that you're actually not looking to build the building. The child is the building. They already came to us as the building that they're going to be. Our job is just to provide them the support around the structure that they are. If we know about scaffolding, right, especially if you've been to like big cities, you see that scaffolding sometimes comes up and then sometimes comes down, right? And so as we're working on our interactions with these youth, we want to remember too that there might be times where they need more scaffolding, more supports, and then there's times for us to kind of take that scaffolding down as well. So I'm going to kind of go, I'm going to try to, like he said, short. This is tricky for me, guys. Short is always a little hard, but I'm going to try to do this, okay? So buckle up and let's go. So if you were to look at this book, right, like which I said, you actually should read and get. I don't um, tell people to read many books, actually, because I think it can get really confusing, but this is actually one that's fantastic. There are 10 main points in terms of the scaffold effect that we want to provide for our children. So I'm going to briefly go over those, and then as I'm talking about this, if you have some questions about how to apply this to your children or the children that you're supporting and serving, please ask me, and then that's when we can really see how these concepts really make sense in real time. So the first thing that we want to do is to secure ourselves, And what that means is we want to be aware of like our self-care and our needs. We also want to manage our own insecurities, triggers, and know our own emotional sensitivities. And then to also assess what our strengths are in supporting the children around us and also our weaknesses. You know, I think about this in my home. My husband and I, we say to each other, we pay different bills. 
meaning I actually don't pay the bills. He pays the bills. He pays attention to it. He looks at all the finances. He does that kind of stuff. I pay different kind of bills. I'm looking at managing emotional needs, right? Supporting them with certain things like that, having some of the tough conversations. He likes to look at those bills with me sometimes, but that is sometimes more my strength that I do. I look at the bills, I'm just not actually clicking pay, right? So we have these different strengths in our relationship and we try to honor those within each other. Um, we can offer support to those that we love in our lives, um, the, the kind of support that they need and deserve if we're not actually taking intentional time to look at who we are and what we can offer them and then also connecting with the other supports, us, supports around us to help us with that job or that work that we're doing with the kid. So first, secure yourself. The second one, which I actually really like this idea, it's draw a new blueprint. This is where we need to throw out an old and outdated idea of what success looks like and what our expectations are of our youth. We create a new bl blueprint for our child that includes space and openness. Think about an open floor plan essentially, right? Which gives the, ch the kid and the child room to move around and not feel like they're stuck in a box. When we do this with our kids, it actually provides them more opportunity to feel successful because we're creating a blueprint that's accurate. We're making accurate measurements, right? We're looking at what is the expectation of the timeline of this project. We're not overshooting, right? So then we feel upset that we didn't make the goal in time. We're actually not just us feeling upset, but then them feeling upset that they didn't make the goal. So we want to be really accurate of also, like I said, when we're assessing our assets and deficits, we're assessing their assets and deficits. When we do this with our children, and we can actually do this as a youth leader, right, or in our home, or as an aunt or a grandma, to ask them, what do you feel like you're good at? What are the strengths that you possess? What are the things that you're struggling with? What are some of your challenges? We do want to make sure, like I said, that we're realistic, though, and we're accurate with these assessing. Um, Realistic and real resilient self-esteem is about engagement with the truth of who one is. So when we think a lot about this, about resiliency and grit, I really like that reminder that we have to have the truthfulness of who someone is, <laughs> not, again, what we want them to be. If you've ever had any relationship disputes, maybe with people that you love, sometimes you will notice that those frustrating moments come from the fact that you are hoping that they are somebody different rather than the person that they are. We can't avoid the truthfulness of who our children are. Seeing them as who they are is critical, as we need to be sure we are providing them the support for the kind of building that they already are, and not one that we want to turn them into. When we create an accurate blueprint with our children, engaging them in the process, they will also feel more success, and we will feel less frustration. The third part, which I really enjoy doing in my life, it feels a little bit, I don't know, like lighthearted, it's laying a solid foundation with our kids. Focus first on the relationship between you, the adult, and the kid. I remember a few years ago talking to someone and they were like, I just can't connect. This is actually in a church youth service setting. They're like, I just can't connect with the kid. You know, like, I don't know what they're doing, but like, they won't connect with me. And they were really frustrated and they most certainly thought that this was the kid's fault, right? I could be wrong, but my belief is it's always our responsibility to figure out how to connect with the kid. Maybe it's because of my therapeutic experience, right, that says if I'm not connecting with someone and I'm not feeling that relationship with them, it's actually on me as a therapist to learn how to connect with them, right? So laying a solid foundation, we need to remember that we have to be looking at ourselves. How can I feel like I'm connecting to them and looking at what our child needs? 
part of this is so important. Again, it's engaging them in that process and asking them, what do you need from me? You know, um, I think about the story from my mom when she was raising us. My mom is actually also a private clinician, has always been. And she was just like me, balancing life, being working outside the home and in the home and in the schools and all these things with us, her kids. And she was stressing out because she wanted to do something in my uh, brother's classroom for like the PTA of sorts. And he was like, mom, I don't need you to be my room mom. And she was like, thank you. Like, I'm so happy. Like, you don't need that from me? She was assuming that this was his need. This was not his need, right? So I think checking in with our kids is what do you need from me? What would this look like if you felt supported from me? That also helps us hit the target more and makes us feel like we're being successful as parents. As we also lay us out solid foundation with our kids, we need to practice being present. So often, right, adults will talk to these kids about be in the moment, be present, and I just say, how are you doing with that, right? Are you also making sure that you're available for your kids when you're with them? Or are you walking in the house, asking them what's going on, what homework they have on your way to a different room, right? Um, they want to feel that you're with them, not in just those quick moments to check up on them and see what they have to do and what has to get done. Sometimes the youth will tell me that they feel like they're just like this project being micromanaged by their parents and they're not actually connecting with their parents. Um, so we want to be looking at those, like how can we connect to our kids in these really present ways? Part of this is even sometimes looking at attachment rituals. Attachment rituals are really easy when our kids are young, right? It's reading stories with them, bath time, whatever, like the fun little things, right? As they get older, we're like, how do we do this, right? I always remind people, food. Food's a great way. I have a lot of kids who love like early outs. Try to go and take them to food once a week or every other week, right? But you just have to be creative with them and ask them what they want. One of our children, they love to walk and talk, right? They are the kid that's probably similar to me. Just talk, 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 right? And what I have found is part of me laying a solid foundation with that kid is that when we go on a walk with the dogs, I do not do any, any editing. I do not give them any advice. I do not offer them a solution to any problem that they are sharing with me. I am just looking at this moment as quality connecting time. I put aside my maybe fears or worries or notes to make. I put those aside because what my kid needs is me just being with them at that moment, right? So I just listen, uh-huh, I hear everything that they tell me, and I have points I could make, most certainly, but I just keep them to myself, and we just walk, and I let them talk, right? And what I find is that they look forward to this, and they legitimately ask me, hey, when are we going to walk with the dog? And I'm like, yes, like that's what we're going for, right? Is figuring out what is it that our kid would want to connect with us that feels like quality time where they don't feel like we're going to give them a list at the end of it. Um, the next thing that we want to do with our scaffolding, how we're going to provide this for our kids, it's hard, but we have to hold steady. When parents freak, kids react. Now, I understand, it's scary, right? And when our kids are younger, we're worried about scrapes and owies and broken arms and things like that. And as they get older, the worries and concerns that we have grow. I do understand that I'm never going to invalidate that existence, right? But when our kids see us emotionally reacting with them, I will tell you, they feel like you have zero confidence in them, right? We want our youth to feel like we have confidence in them. Um, I see this actually a lot connected in a spiritual way with the atonement, right? It's like, 
we don't want them to make mistakes, but we want them to understand that the atonement exists. And they're like, what do you really want from me, guys? Like, I don't understand, right? So they want to feel confident in themselves, and they want to feel that we have confidence in them. So we have to really practice on keeping our emotions calm. And when we do that whole part of assessing ourselves, it's assessing what are our own insecurities, what are the things that maybe we would respond to, right, that they're interacting with, but not placing what our feelings are onto them. One of the suggestions that I think about this is to monitor if you ever think to yourself, well, if I were them, I would fill in the blank. Anytime we do that, whether that be in our friendships, right, we say, well, if I were them, I would do this, we're actually now placing judgment on what the other per per person is experiencing and how they're responding. And it actually creates disconnection. It makes us grow further apart. It doesn't really matter because we're not them. They are them. Siri didn't understand that. Siri is like, I don't understand. Can you, can you explain that again? So <laughs> we want to create connection with our kids, right? And the people that we're supporting. So we don't want to be like, well, if I were you, I would do this. We want to ask questions more like, how do you feel like you want to respond to that? What do you think would be helpful for you before you make a decision, rather than jumping in right away off of what we're worried about or what we're fearful about? Um, be careful to not make assumptions about what their feelings are. We want them to also see for us, I always say to people, like, adults have feelings, right? I'm a therapist, I have feelings. Like, people are like, you do? Yeah, of course, right? I have feelings, and I experience, I experience them. And our kids need to see that we actually have emotions. It's okay for them to see emotions. I know there's, like, some parenting stuff out there that's like, don't let your kids ever have them see that you have emotions. I think that's bogus and wild because that's actually creating, like, a false, like, perception of reality, right? We all have emotions. We want our kids to see that we have emotions, we know how to take care of them, and then we know how to respond because of those emotions. They're watching us. I know you might be thinking, no, my kids are not paying attention. They are paying attention. Nothing really like, gets past them. They're observing and they're making connections all the time, right? So be checking in with them about what their emotions are about things and what their needs are and don't respond to their stresses as if it's you. The other thing that's really important, this is number five, stay on their level. I find this one to actually be a really fun one for me therapeutically. I get to find out their language. What's their lingo? What are they interested in? They teach me everything. They teach me everything about the internet, how to use my phone. I'm turning into my mother where I don't know how to do cool things on my phone. Like they know how to do everything. They understand everything, right? So we have to practice staying on their level. It's really hard. I think when I look at how the world is, and I actually love the world. I'm not like a doomsday person about the world. I think it's beautiful. But I think that they're in this world that really is kind of forcing them to grow up early and I actually think that that's okay except we need to remember that they're actually not us right so we want them to still be a kid we want them to sh we want them to see that we're recognizing who they are at the age that they are and we're not trying to force them to be something different right I was actually just teaching a lesson today about um, our testimonies and staying committed to the gospel and I thought there's no way like I did not have the knowledge that I have today when I was 14 right? And that must be feeling really stressful for these kids when we're like, you have to know all of these things right now. And they're like, I don't. So what does that mean about me? And that's really stressful, right? So we want them to understand that the knowledge that they have at the ages that they are, I always say, this is their first time being 14. 
their first time being 16, their first time, all this kind of stuff. We want them to know that we're going to meet them where they are at in their growing process, rather forcing them to be somewhere where we are, which is like decades more experienced than them, right? It's a little unfair. So yes, they're growing up, they're maturing, they're learning things at earlier ages, but we still need to meet them where they are and stay where they are. Part of this is also really showing massive interest in the things that our kids care about. And I think this is actually a really beautiful one to do, especially if you're a leader or a coach or an aunt, grandma, all these things, right? Different than just parents, is showing them that you're remembering what they're doing, what they love, what they're good at, like the games that they're having each week, right? I know that that meant a lot to me when I was a youth, and I see it mean a lot to my kids too when people remember like, hey, I remember that you had this thing at school. How did that go? That also shows them that we're paying attention to them, which they actually do like attention, right? Um, so the sixth one is to empower growth. Failure is a given. Teach them the importance of learning by trying. Any choice is an opportunity to learn. If there is no discussion after attempts, then we are missing what trying is about. And I think when we talk about this, we have to remember that we actually need to talk with our children about their tries if they make the goal and also if they don't make the goal, right? What helped you be successful after they've, you know, they've met the thing that they wanted to? What do you feel like you could have still done better even though you met the goal? And then it's if they didn't, what do you think got in your way? How do you think you could have handled that better? It's really not just about celebrating that they won something or like taking them to like a, I don't know, a post non-celebratory dinner to make them feel better that they didn't win. Like, I don't know what we call that, but like we want to actually communicate to them about both of these things, right? Um, so we're celebrating them when they're trying things. I know in our family that has looked like that when our kids are trying out for things, whatever it might be at school or extracurricular activities, I leave them notes at home on the day that they try out for it. I don't just wait to find out if they got it or they didn't, right? Because I want them to recognize, I'm just impressed that you tried something that there's no way I would have tried, right? And I'm just like, that is really cool that you're trying new things and you're trying to learn. Um, a reason or something also that's really important in terms of empowering growth is that we want to think about that when they're trying things and they don't make it, or maybe when you see that something isn't going well for them or they come to you with their problems, we have to move from being a fixer to a consultant, right? So, and this is one of those things that's really hard because when they're little, I feel like I can put a Band-Aid on them really quick, I can give them a warm bath, and it's like all their worries go away, right? As they get older, it's not like that, but we're still trying to fix them, right? It's almost like, I feel this in my own life, actually all the time, you guys, I'm being honest. I feel like I'm always hedging, like, and I'm trying to make sure, right, that my kid is prepared for all of the different ways that life is gonna go. And I know that that can be exhausting, right? But what we really have to do, and I have to stretch myself to do this too, is I have to think, how can I be a consultant in their life? How can we communicate with each other about what they need, where they could change, what they need for me, all these different things. So think about that in your mind, that rather than fixing their problems, because that also, I will tell you, when we fix their problems, we are again responding out of fear and less confidence in our kids, right? So when we're saying that we want our kids to be resilient, if we're just trying to fix their problems, we are actually now a big part of the problem of why they're not feeling resilient. Because anytime they have a hard time, we're trying to patch them back up and fix them. I actually want these kids to sit in discomfort, to feel it, 
to struggle to grow. They can't do that if we're constantly fixing things. Um, one of the things to also think about that when you think about moving from a fixer to consultant is you want to help them move from comfort zone to growth zone. No growth happens if we're comfortable. We know that, right? And I have to stretch myself a lot in certain things that are hard for me so I can grow. And they sometimes terrify me, right? They're scary. I say always to like a teenager who's about to get their driver's license, they're like, I'm kind of nervous. And I'm like, good, you ought to be. Because I am on that road too, and I'm with my children, and your parents are thinking about you on the road, so please be a little nervous, right? It's okay to feel those type of feelings. The seventh one is to build strength. And what I'll say about this is that if we want them to build that grit and that strength in their life, we want to first talk to them about what are their desires, right? What are their interests? Where are they trying to learn something new? The second part is looking at their competency, right? Supporting them and learning the ability to work on that skill, to strengthen it, right? So again, we're identifying those assets and deficits. And then third, we're looking at those expectations. The expectations of they're gonna fail a little bit, they're gonna try, they're gonna learn, they're gonna grow, they're gonna succeed without holding them to an expectation of perfection. Um, you know, what grit is to us, like I said, we have decades more experience than the kids. So what grit is to us is going to look different for them. So we have to recognize that with them when we're talking to them about, like, how can you be more gritty? Where can you stretch yourself a little bit more? And we do that by looking for opportunities for them, their interests, right? Helping them practice those new skills and then talking about the expectations as they take on trying a new skill and working on something new. This leads us in to the realistic expectations part. Um, it's like the quality control section, right? Where you're like checking in on things. And you're like, what are the expectations of this? Um, we check in with them. Are we keeping up with like what their assets and deficits are? Are we reevaluating those with our kids? I actually think that this is what's great about the four goals of the youth program, right? I know a lot of people have been talking about it just because it's like the beginning of the new year. But this is something to be constantly reassessing with our kids. Right? Where do you think you're growing? Where do you think you're struggling? And the thing that's really interesting is that a kid can grow in one area, and then we can be like, we're done. Good. Awesome. And I'm like, absolutely not. <laughs> like, in two years, they might need a refresher course, right? Or they're developing it, in, they're at a new age, they're like experiencing new things, and so they need to actually increase their ability at that area that they once maybe felt like they checked off the list. Um, also making sure that here that we're talking to our kids about sharing with us how they are feeling. This is tricky, I know, because feeling words are like touchy and they make us feel vulnerable and maybe we don't have the right language with them. Um, but this is where we can also model to them those things. And this is why I don't believe in that idea that parents should never show their kids their feelings because I want them to learn what these words are for their feelings. I want them to see us use them around them. Our, one of our kids has this awesome teacher this year and we were having a meeting with this teacher the other day and he was so awesome by sharing with our kid the experience they had in their family growing up of wanting to be a peacemaker. This kid of mine gets really overwhelmed when their friends are fighting at school, right? And it's just like really overwhelming to them. And they're like, why can't everybody sing Kumbaya? And I'm like, well, that's a tough lesson there. I don't know. But he's working on it, right? And the teacher was really vulnerable and just said, I remember feeling that way too, right? And I remember feeling overwhelmed. 
And I was so thankful that the teacher used the, the emotional vocabulary with my child too in the classroom to see that this is okay to talk about these things. Um, so in our home, sharing with our kids when we are feeling overwhelmed or if we're having a hard day, they can hear some of that. No, we don't place our issues onto our kids and tell them to now be our fixer or even our consultant, right? But we can let them know what we're doing to work through our experiences and our feelings, right, and share a little bit with them. Um, I, another part with this, the realistic expectations, it's always making sure that we're praising the good. This does not mean that we avoid the not so good. There's also some errors out in the world too, like only praise the good. And I'm like, that is not behavior modification, right? You want both. We communicate about what's not going well, and we also make sure we praise not the winning goal, we praise the fact that they hustled down the field, right? So even just think about that when you go home. Um, when I'm talking to kids, I ask them, how was your soccer game or your basketball game? They'll say, oh man, we didn't win. And my next response always is, well, how did you feel like you played, right? What were some good moments you felt like you had, right? I'm interested that they tried, that they did it. I actually don't care if a kid wins or loses. It makes no difference to me because I know a kid showing up is still work. So we want to make sure that we're communicating to our kids that we know that they're working and we see it and we appreciate it. The ninth one, which I also love, is support them unconditionally. In the book, you know, if you guys were to get it, it says this, try to not change the kid's condo into a whimsical Victorian building. And I, I like that reminder, right? Because I think that in order to support them unconditionally, it means that we have to accept the building they are and put the supports around them that that building needs and not try to remodel them into something different. We accept them for who they are, we see their assets and deficits, and we put that scaffolding up at times, and sometimes we take it down. The thing that we have to remember is we don't want our kids to feel trapped. If you've ever felt trapped in your life, whether it be in an unhealthy relationship, or maybe in an elevator, or I don't really know, in a line at Disneyland, right? You know that it feels really uncomfortable to feel trapped. And in fact, if people feel trapped, they feel really overwhelmed, they feel helpless, and then they also feel the urge to fight. We don't want our kids to feel like they need to fight us, right? We want them to know that we're like actually on their team, right? And we're supporting them. And so we do need to be looking at how we can be showing them that we are supporting them really unconditionally, right? And this will get tricky, I know, sometimes because we'll see them maybe not perform to the level of ability that we believe that they're capable of. So we could use an example of such, like maybe a kid fails a test, and sometimes we might get really frustrated about that. Well, if the kid wasn't studying all week, right, and they were slacking, and they weren't working on it, I can understand why we'd be like, hey, hold on, buddy, <laughs> like, you actually didn't try. So we're not actually upset that they got the F, it's upset that there was no trying prior. If you see a kid, though, who's trying, and they're putting in the effort, and you see them making time, and they're being dedicated, and they don't get the grade that's an A, can you still be proud of them, right? That's what's really important, is that we say, I can be proud of you because I know you tried rather than I can be proud of you because you got the score, right? Um, and when we're supporting them unconditionally, we wanna make sure that we're paying attention to that maybe gap that might exist from the expectations and the reality, right, with them. The last one would be to make sure that we're constantly looking to repair and minimize the cracks, right? So where does repair need to happen? 
when I was teaching this lesson today to the youth, you know, and, and I was thinking about like relationships. I was actually thinking about it in relationships with like our heavenly parents and our savior. But if we look at the studies of what three words matter the most in a relationship, does anybody know what they are? The most important three words in any healthy relationship? This is good. You guys will all go home and practice this. I am sorry. Right? It's good. Good ones, right? When we use the words, I am sorry, with our children, the worry that most adults have is that now our child won't respect us, right? Because we're like admitting our faults. It's completely opposite of that. Our kid now sees us as human, which we also see them as, or we need to see them as, right? Which means we're going to make mistakes. It's not about the mistakes being made. It's about what do we do after the mistake occurs. So when we want to repair our relationships with our children, I am sorry, right? It could be with actually anybody. We practice those three words, right? I am sorry, and then they said this, the next set would be thank you, right? So I am sorry and thank you. And even if you just made that change this week in your interactions with your kids, then that's great, right? Doing all 10 things, all 10 things like every single day is going to be pretty hard, right? So I'm not actually telling you that you need to do that. It's just assessing where you need to do more. Maybe you recognize you need to work on the foundation with your kid. You need to figure out that quality time with your kid. Maybe you're recognizing, hey, I need to have like a better thorough assessment of what they think their assets and deficits are. And maybe before I start telling them what they did wrong next time, I'm just going to say, hey, where do you feel like you could have done better? Language is really important. I study language all day long, right, in my profession. So I try to be pretty aware of it. And you can see that that's really different. Like, hey, what did you do wrong? Versus where do you feel like you could have done better? Already, I either want to talk to you or I don't because I feel shame, right? And so when you're using your language with your kids, you just want to be thinking of, I'm not saying that we're flowery and fluffy and never talking like a straight shooter, right? But we do need to be aware of the words that we use. Words have significant power, especially in those close relationships with the people that we love the most. Words can mean everything. <laughs>